I think of the movie Gone Girl, um, specifically Ben Affleck's character of Nick Dunn. You know, just all around, not not a great guy, <laughs> but just lacking the creativity, being so inflexible and failing to contribute new ideas that that really I, I, I just couldn't think, in my opinion, from the movies that I've seen of a better example of just somebody who is just so low and imaginative. I think that definitely led to a lot of, for lack of better terms, the ignorance behind it. Um, and what continued to fuel Amy Dunn and okay with he even couldn't believe it when he was, you know, taking a photo beside his wife's missing portrait, smiling. And everyone's like, you're almost trying, right? He has such a low, mischievous score of lacking so much charm and social intuition and reading the room, if you will. They basically said there was all these photographers and it was a press release of, you know, if we, if please find Amy. And if you do, we'll give you like a certain amount of money and reward. And everyone, you know, the parents took photos beside the portrait of her. And obviously they were distraught, crying. And then somebody said to Nick, smile. And he smiled. And that was the photo that they used was, look at this man who is so socially inequipped that he's smiling beside his wife's missing portrait. And he was like, well, how could people be pointing the finger at me? I'm so... But it was also in her knowing kind of what Christina mentioned, you know, in our first podcast of she knew her husband's profile so well and what he would not be able to do that it just made it made it almost like an automatic door opening. No effort, no nothing. He's going to walk right into the bear trap. That's Brittany Lawhorn, the director of operations at Goose Creek Consulting, who also works with leaders and others who have those same goals. Yeah, I think that reminds me of Independence Day. I mean, it's been a while ago, this one, but thinking about the the guy that I think he lived in a trailer somewhere in the desert. And he was always kind of like halfway in the movie. He played actually a significant part in the entire movie because he was the one in the end who really just offered, okay, we're going to, we'll go, I'm just going to fly that fly with my plane into the enemy, I mean, into like the artificial um, intelligence ship, into the alien ship. And I mean, he did it, he died, and he didn't even mention that this was the greatest thing. So he really actually like saved the world in that movie and didn't want to have any fame for it. That's Christina Ralph, who works with leaders and others on the personality characteristics that can help people develop self-awareness and live better lives. Welcome to the Silver Linings Handbook. I'm Jason Blair. Today we're going to go off the rails again and have some fun. This is the second of our episodes on fictional characters that reflect our personalities. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to the first, go back and listen. In the first one, I mentioned that this episode was really inspired by someone asking me to do a psychological profile of the guy who knows when you've been sleeping and knows when you're awake and knows when you've been good or bad. Yes, Santa Claus. I mean, he's also the guy who sneaks into homes during night when people are asleep. But instead of stealing our valuables, he leaves gifts. Not only does that mean Santa is supportive and loyal and caring, that's pretty bold. That requires a tremendous amount of 
diligence too, because Santa also customizes the gifts to each individual person. He also comes in the dark of the night, doesn't hang around to chat with anyone, and spends most of his time at the North Pole with his closest friends, the elves. Clearly, Santa is a jolly introvert. So why do we all relate to Santa? He's the perfect amalgamation of many of our personality characteristics. We love him because he mirrors that bright side of so many qualities we share without the derailing tendencies that can pop up at times. So this week, I'm rejoined by my colleagues, Brittany and Christina, to have a fun episode discussing the absence of personality qualities that can sort of present in us and get us in a little bit of trouble, but also make up who we are. And we're going to look at those fictional characters that really bring those to life. This episode will give us a chance to laugh and learn and get some chuckles and gain some insight. What we find in our work is that sometimes it's easier to relate to ourselves when we have great examples from the screen or other forms of entertainment. Today, we're going to be using a framework that was designed by Dr. Bob Hogan, the founder of Hogan Assessments, and we'll be exploring the absence of the 11 personality tendencies that really impact our lives. We're going to try our best to make this fun and explore how we're able to relate to these characters. Following up on last week's episode where we talked about the elements of personality that can kind of derail your life when they're overused. And we we spent a lot of time. And for those of you who are used to just my serious interviews with people and don't like the fun stuff, stop listening now. But we talk about the idea of overused strengths that kind of derail us ultimately. But rarely in personality and personality psychology do we talk about the absence of a certain personality characteristic, or we certainly don't talk about it as much as we talk about uh, the presence of personality characteristics. So Christina and Britt have joined me again today, and we're going to walk through some of those concepts and ideas, how you manage things and you address things uh, when you have the absence of a certain quality and what that means, like because the, there are downstream implications for that. But Christina, Britt, just wanted to throw it out to you guys to get started. Are you having fun with these episodes yet? I Jason, definitely. Thanks for having us again. Can't wait. Yes, thank you. Always good to talk Hogan with you guys. Right. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to throw out there was, you know, maybe we start this one by, because I think it's a harder harder thing for people to sometimes get their heads around, is that there can be real consequences to an absence of a certain personality characteristic. And last time we went over the 11 derailers. And so today I was thinking, let's go through the 11, the absence, the complete absence, Right. And the way to kind of think about it is, you know, if a derailer is like 90 out of 100 and it's a big risk, there's this big space in the middle where it might be a moderate risk or it might be a low risk, but there's this place toward the bottom that's like no risk that we rarely ever touch upon. But in that no risk, uh, 
you almost get risk because the absence of that quality exists. So I, I just wanted to get your get your concept or your ideas and your thoughts on sort of like the absence of personality characteristics. Yeah, I mean, let's get started. I think for me, it's like you said, it's it's an unusual way to look at things. So it took me a while, and I hope you, I get your point. I'm looking at my scales right now, and the Hogan scales go from zero to a hundred. So I'm looking to the ones that I would define as really low, around twenty. Am I? Is that correct? Low. That's what I. That's what I tend to look at. You know, because if you look at a scale. And I think for the listeners, it's worth defining what this means. On a scale of zero to 100, with the norm, meaning the average person in the population at 50, the things that we talk about as derailers become a real high risk if they're 90 and above. But those that are 20%, so that means 80% of the population has some greater amount of this personality characteristic than you do can be a risk as well. Yeah. Yeah. So when I look at my lowest, that will be reserved. And I think I've never tried to interpret it that way around, but I could see that being that I'm very like accessible, warm, and usually come across, and I actually am highly cooperative, that it might be an issue if I really have to set boundaries and follow through and get to have to like address negative points to my to my let's say coworkers. Um just Christina, do you do you do you in your mind think that, you know, the strength of being high and reserved or moderate and reserved is like being independent, right? And being objective and sort of like the core key qualities that you just described of like a lower score and reserved are really about being sort of like warm, engaging and engaged that it's that absence of being independent and objective and being able to pull away from things that kind of create some of those boundary risks. Is that the, yeah, I, think, I think that makes sense the way you, you bring it up and, and wrap it up. That I could also see that and uh, reflecting in the way I make decisions. I clearly feel a lot better if I make a decision uh, on a cooperative base. But I think there are sometimes times where you have to decide it on your own. And I think that might be something where I'm lacking strength, given that I'm low on reserve. Is that yeah? You? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So for you, like when you think about that low reserve score and boundaries, where is it? shown up in life and created challenges for you? Um, I think especially when it comes to providing negative feedback um, to people, especially I like when I think about my private time. Um, I I think there's never a good time for bad news. Bad news are just usually getting worse the longer you keep them. And I'd say looking back, I've missed missed the time frame a couple of times to report something and and bring something on the, t- the table that I should have addressed earlier, but I have just, just such a hard time um, doing it independently. And I think I'm also, when I like people, I can see that I'm not as objective as I should be at some point sometimes and give people rather the benefit of the doubt just because I like them and don't look too close, even if I do not have the best gut feel already. 
So, you know, the funny thing, Christina, I had tried to, because being alone reserve is really about being warm, engaging, engaged, but, you know, that risk of poor social boundaries. And I was really struggling to find a metaphor to describe it. So you kind of inspired one for me, actually. I think of Belle from Beauty and the Beast, right? Really struggles to say no, dislikes conflict, doesn't know when to pull back, right? That works out okay for the Beast. You know, that conflict between what her dad wants and what she wants and all those things, but an excessive concern for other people's feelings, that absence of being able to be independent, objective, almost derailed Belle, who, by the way, is one of my favorite characters ever. So, (laughs) Britt, is there a low score for you that comes to mind? Yes. So... For me, I would say definitely low bold. So when we're talking about this, you know, I'm a good, reliable worker, but sometimes I can find struggles in specifically leadership roles. The movie, <laughs> the movie character that I thought really sunk in with me was if you guys ever seen the movie Tammy. Both the movie's name is Tammy and the actress's name, Melissa McCarthy, plays his name, Tammy. I haven't. Tell me about it. I haven't either. (laughs) Basically, she's just going through all of these life events and kind of, in a sense, having a midlife crisis because her husband is leaving her, divorcing her. But she's a hard worker, but she struggles. I, I wouldn't say necessarily in the film with leadership roles, but you can just see her struggling with taking charge in her own life and being, being assertive. Yeah. Yeah. Mainly because she wants to be liked just as much as Christina said, you know, she's, she's warm with her low reserve, warm, engaging, but just, you know, wanting to be liked can be such a conflict in itself with what you want to be portrayed or perceived as. So Mm. that one definitely resonated with me. So how does it for you like show up in life? Because I know, I mean, I know you enough to know that like in your everyday, you have like drive, you have energy, but there, you feel like there's certain moments where you sort of like, struggled to be as assertive as you want to be? Oh, easily. Yeah. Like, um, I think an example outside of work, it just sometimes I will have um, friends that sometimes, and see, it's kind of like how it is right now. Like I'm struggling to even say it because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but it's one of those things where I- Don't worry. They're probably not listening. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, let me tell you something. Our listeners, they roll with the punches. You know, so if you're worried about it, they're probably not listening. No, it's just, but I think that that's a good example in itself is just having difficulty mentioning it because you want to put yourself over others, right? And that can go into, you know, another one of my low scores that will probably- You mean the other way around, put others ahead of yourself. Yes, yeah. So- One of my examples would be just in some friendships or even in like past relationships, I've been the doormat, right? I've been, you know, very good and reliable as a friend, but having that reciprocated back has always been kind of a catch-22. That makes complete sense. I am one of the things that for me, have you guys seen Harry Potter? 
Yes. Okay. So there's that character Neville, right? Like he is reliable. He totally is. Everybody likes him. And like, he's got like great potential to be successful, but he can't really take bold action, right? Which keeps him in a subordinate role. And I think that's sometimes like the risk for people who are in that low bold space is even though you have the talents or the skills, you might get overlooked. Um, yeah, for those uh, leadership roles. Yeah. So I'll dive in. I'll dive into one that I have that I I'm not sure whether I really find this as a risk. Actually, it is a risk. But I'm I'm super low and cautious, which you know, cautious is really about being careful and thorough. And on the risky side, it's about you know being fearful of failure, or you know, it's about becoming risk averse, but people who are lower in cautious, those of us who are, you know, in the lower 20 percentile of it, we tend to like not really have that careful and thorough part. And we tend to make really rapid decisions and we don't collect all the data. Right. And sometimes that can work out really well because we won't overcomplicate things. There won't be like 30 layers to, to problem solving, but sometimes we don't think things thoroughly through just as an example, starting this podcast, right? I got the idea. Uh, it came in my head. I said, you know, this time we're going to plan it out and we're going to have a project plan. We're going to put it all together. We're going to write a proposal. I write, write, wrote a proposal, same day I came up with the idea, submitted the proposal, right? Researched it, submitted the proposal, and then started like recruiting, hiring like our audio producer and other stuff like that. And the person who was like running the project was like, aren't you going to wait for the proposal to be approved? I'm like, why wait? So I really think of like Tony Stark and Iron Man from the Avengers, the Marvel uh, comic book series, like makes really quick and risky decisions. Like, you know, and, you know, might leave messes around. Now, the thing we know about people who are lower and cautious, that a part of that quick decision-making is people who are lower and cautious might change jobs a lot. So, like, by the time the messes are detected, they may go on. But eventually, over time, particularly if they stay in the same place, it'll kind of build up a reputation for them. Do you guys... Do you guys uh, have any characters that you relate to when it comes to low cautious outside of my man, Tony? Yes. <laughs> um, the two officers that Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill play in 21 Jump Street. They Absolutely. Are, they are so eager to grab the gun, shoot, find the solution that they do not care if the criminal is on Main Street and they are going on South Street. They just want to shoot their gun. <laughs> and you're talking about the more recent movie version of it, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm actually thinking about Hangover. What's his name? It's the, the His real name is something like a Greek Zach Galafianakis or something. Yes. Um, well, just think about Hangover. I would put him on the really low cautious part side. <laughs> yeah. What is it? What is it? What is it that you put on the low cautious side? Isn't Hangover like the comedy? Um, uh, Todd Phillips produced. It was. What was it about? It was about. I mean, there's a. There's I think three in total. Um, I think the first one, I think it's still the best. Uh, they go um, to Vegas 
to what's what you're gonna call it when you do pre-wedding have like the when people celebrate guys go out there's an English word for it yeah so the bachelor group goes out to kind of celebrate once more before um, one of the protagonists gets married and the guy I'm referring to is bringing a ton of drugs and doesn't really care if he's taking them in public or not and then he starts um, get, giving the handing out the drugs and mix, mixing these into drinks and all kinds of things. Um, Minus the drugs, this does sound a lot like me. I mean, yes, who knows? Well, it's definitely low cautious, and I'm also low on the cautious part. So, um, I totally hear you, Jason, when you say, Yeah, it's sometimes really quick decision making, and second best solution might do, which is great if we're like working on a project that 60%, right, will do or 70%. But, like, you don't want me to be your vascular surgeon. Like, no. You definitely, if it requires the 90% or 99% solution, I'm the wrong guy. And, you know, my low cautious score is so extreme that I basically surround myself by people. And I, I really work well with people who have high cautious because I have – an appreciation for the need for that and that counterbalancing. I'll give you guys one of mine that I had a hard time accepting. So you guys probably know I have like a reputation for being like a political operator and being able to navigate thorny situations, which I think is all true. But what, so I was really shocked when my score, I think I'm in the bottom 2%, so 98 percent of the population is more skeptical than I am. So I'm like very, very low skeptical. And one of the things about being low skeptical is that it's not about the absence really relates to not having political savvy. And I was like, what? But then what I realized was like, I am low cautious. I am quite I hate to admit it, I can be somewhat charming and somewhat manipulative at times. And I think all that stuff makes up for the fact that I am just absolutely naive. I am open to people, and anybody who's worked with me knows this. Like a serial killer could come in the door as a new employee, and I'd be like, we should give this person a chance, right? Like you could paint your intentions to stab me in the back, like on my desk and in the mirror. And, my, and I'd be like, this person is just struggling with something. So, you know, low skeptical people tend to be really open and approachable, but a little bit naive, right? We tend to see the best in people. And uh, I thought of like, uh, Leslie, Leslie Nope from uh, Parks and Recs is a great example, right? Seeing the best in everybody, having a real hard time seeing their true intentions because my colleagues will tell you I will be the last one to ever see a bad actor or to notice a bad actor. And so I think it results in this risk of like potentially getting snowed or conned. What do you guys think? Do you think that's an accurate description of me? Yes. <laughs> I can see that working out. Absolutely. You nailed it. <laughs> it's why are you laughing so hard, Brett? <laughs> <Yeah>. Relatable. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm guessing what the relatable part is. You're thinking about all the times where like you're raising an eyebrow about somebody and I'm like, no, they're fine. And then six months later, I'm like, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. So another one I wanted to throw out there. I don't know if you guys are on this one, but the low leisurely, and we talked about how leisurely is really about like the higher scores being overly cooperative and agreeable, but when it gets overused or under stress or when the person isn't paying attention, becoming sort of like stubborn, privately irritable, passive resistant because the people have an agenda, but they so desperately want to be cooperative. On the opposite, I you would think that like the opposite end of leisurely would be being uncooperative, but it's not true because on both ends of leisurely are highly cooperative people. On the low end of leisurely, you have people who sort of only want to please, right? They're genuinely cooperative. They've got no agenda whatsoever. And they'll often put the needs of others above their own and take things on. You know, they'll run into people who are struggling and instead of like coaching them or helping them, they'll just pick up the work from them with a smile and, and, um, so I, I kind of thought of like Cinderella, right? Always there to help, super patient when interrupted, will like trudge through and do a good job no matter how daunting, but it's constantly putting others over themselves. What do you guys think? Yeah, that one that one resonates. Um the the character for me that helps me understand that one more is uh the movie Scott Pilgrim versus the world, specifically Scott. He might, you know, there's some... You're going to have to tell me what that one is, too. I, don't think, I haven't seen it either. I'm clearly learning that I am behind you in terms of uh, entertainment knowledge. It's basically this um, this guy who is um, around, say, maybe like college age, and they make the movie, so he's fighting, but whenever he's fighting, it's like an action or, you know, a gamer type of feel and environment and he really doesn't have any agenda specifically speaking with like where he wants to go in life what he wants to do all he knows is that he wants to have this one person as his girlfriend and he will do whatever it means to be with her so in the movie he has to defeat her seven evil exes and so that's why i kind of say for him he reminds me of this because this reminds me of like a quarter of the characters on the show survivor Right, just there to help everybody else out. Just yeah, exactly. And then, and there could be some debate, you know, like he maybe he does have an agenda. He wants it to be this girl, but as far as speaking in just general with life, with anything, he has no direction, no agenda. And well, I think it's like I think we all to some extent have an agenda, but I think for people who are lower and leisurely. It's it's the willingness to suppress your own agenda. Like it'll never be because you guys have probably heard this story about me. You know, my my former partner and I, we used to, you know, go out constantly go out and do things, and she was constantly planning it. And she felt like it was like really unfair. She was like, It's really unfair. I'm constantly planning things. And she like, and she was like, don't you want to do things? I'm like, sure. There are plenty of things that I want to do. But I was like, it doesn't really matter to me what we do as long as you're there. So whatever it is that makes you happy will make me happy. Now, that worked because we were in a trusting, loving relationship. But like, not every relationship is like that. 
So constantly putting putting your own agenda, your needs behind other people's is really, you know, like you got to be in a safe space to do it. Yeah, agree. So I was going to I was going to ask you guys uh like a little bit about some of the other ones and I was going to let you just grab um uh, you know, grab grab whichever ones you want, but uh you know, there, I think we still have to do low, excitable, low mischievous, low colorful, low imaginative, low diligent, low dutiful. And, you know, which one do you guys want to tackle next? You pick. Thinking about movies and characters right now, so give me a second. My gut would say either low colorful or low dutiful. Britt, are you low leisurely? So you're giving us options? <laughs> I'm lonely usually as well. So. <laughs> oh, and so am I. So we'll all sit here and wait till we get a clue about what the other person does. So I'll I'll go ahead and give you guys two of mine because I I have so many low scores. It's very funny. <laughs> like most of my risks are my low scores, but I'm both low diligent and low dutiful and diligent right we talked about was about being detailed conscientious the risk is being micromanaging and dutiful is about being supportive and loyal but potentially becoming over your please or overly deferential neither of those things are my problems you know, on the diligent, I tend to be like very sort of like undemanding, action-oriented, you know, slightly impulsive. I move fast. So I, I like to com- compare it to, you know, Jack Sparrow from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. That's Johnny Depp's character, like moving really fast with speed, kind of missing the core details, not really considering the alternatives. And sometimes his deliverables just miss the mark. And then with my dutiful one, my low dutiful one, I I think of like this concept that people have said about me often, like you're so independent. It's like you're living on your own island. Like I want autonomy. I fly solo. Like I don't think, I think part of the reason why I started my own business is I don't think I've ever had a boss who thought I was supportive and loyal, putting them first. <laughs> like I fly solo. Now, the downside of that is I often fly solo with very little top cover from my bosses, so they get surprised by the things I've blown up or done in some corner. Um, so, yeah. So what do you guys think of when it comes to, like, low diligent, low dutiful? For me, uh, with low diligent, funny enough, I also thought of a uh, ship movie, but mine was Rose from Titanic mainly because she's very trusting and she's undemanding, um, but she's very action-oriented and impulsive, right? Remember her jumping off the lifeboat because she was so action-oriented and trusting of Jack that she knew even if they were to die together, they were going to be fine together. So that's one for me that stuck out with low diligence and kind of on the same trend with that with low dutiful i thought of terrence fletcher the jack Wait, just jumping back real quick was rose uh the kate winslet character yeah who's like the love interest of uh leonardo dicaprio's character so she was like as i recall and maybe i don't remember this right she was like an heiress and socialite mm-hmm. right and she 
like there was another kind of relationship she was in that was kind of loveless and uh, uh but but to your point like really acted like you know impulsively is that the right way to put it impulsively mm-hmm. yeah yeah okay you were saying sorry low dutiful no, you're fine um and then on my end for low dutiful um i thought of the movie whiplash specifically terrence flesher the he's the actor that um or he's the character that is the jazz band teacher you know he goes by his own you know, as, as he says in the movie, not my tempo. You need to keep up with me. I will never keep up with you. I am too independent to do that. Um, and he's very, very driven with that. And so that to me just was an immediate, easy character. <laughs> Whiplash was that movie. Was that the one that was about like the really sort of like engaged, ambitious music student who like gets pushed to his limit by uh by uh, by by the guy at the conservancy. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I think low dutiful. I hate to say this about myself. I think it's characterized by the idea of the lone wolf, right? Which I think can be a great quality, right? Like you can survive on your own, but you're also on your own. And I think on some levels, if I have to admitted i think the low dutiful part of me is part of what's made it so difficult to over time maintain really strong friendships because i'm oriented and i think this is great for me because it helps me be to some extent to be authentic and to truly pursue what i want but i have a hard time sometimes thinking of other people's needs as easily, if that makes sense. Yeah. Christina, you want to jump? Actually, this one I have to pass. I have, nothing really comes to my mind. I got to watch more movies. Right? Fun. Yep. You have oh, to yeah. jump in a little bit more. So let, let me throw out uh, another one for you guys. Uh, low excitable. And the way I like to describe this one. So if excitable is like the intense and energetic, but potentially volatile one, low excitable, like when you get to that lower end of it, those folks are often really calm, even tempered, but maybe have a bit of a flat affect. And they sort of like don't show you know, the expected emotions. And what I often say to people is like, I mean, and any unflappable TV character kind of fits this mold. Like we do need people to be calm, right? Like everyday business problems we shouldn't be freaking out about. You know, those calm people help the rest of us build resilience and and strength. But like when the building's on fire, we don't need you to be like, everyone please exit to stairwell 54. Because people like figure out how urgent or important things are based on the emotional reaction. So I, I thought of Sherlock Holmes and his like aloof, slightly awkward, totally calm, even when the craziest thing is going on. Yeah, that's 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 a good one. Here I have one that comes right to my mind is... I don't know if you've seen the one, uh, the Stepford Wives. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. So um, the main character, just give me the name, please. Australian actor. Um, I'm not going to be able to think of it for the life of me. So 
Yeah, I'm really bad with names, honestly. So um, I'll, I'll get there. Anyways, so whatever happened, she was super calm and her calm approach to literally any problem that occurred drove everyone else absolutely nuts because nothing could get any real emotion out of her. And that I think that can be very, very hard and stressful on others because it yeah. comes across as almost like inhuman and very aloof. Right, 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 right. And I think that, you know, it's it's the person when something bad is going on that you really want around because they're going to be unflappable. They're not going to be too risky. They're not going to do X, Y, or Z. But, like, their, their flatness, really, you lose the ability to kind of, like, read the room and see what's going on. Another person who's not... Paul Pittman. Sorry for interrupting. Now I got yeah. that was yeah. really thing digging deep here. <laughs> well... Another person who's not a fictional character, although in some levels he is, who fits us, King Charles, like in England, just like calm, flat, rarely shows emotions, you know, like aloof, awkward, like, like, he's not the guy that we're going to put to give the speech when the bombs are falling on London this time around, you know, that kind of thing. No, it would be more like, as of now, 3,248 bombs have fallen. Right. <laughs> We're going to be like, where's Boris Johnson? <laughs> <laughs> so how about for you guys, uh, low mischievous? You know, mischievous is the one about being charming and interesting, but potentially being, you know, a high risk taker or manipulative. You know, and the people who are on the lower end often are described as unassuming, responsible, like good corporate citizens, but they're missing a little bit of like the charm. I I think of Eeyore from Winnie and the Pooh. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're a good guy. Like you think things through, you're like cautious. You don't take any risks, but man, like you are not engaging. Yeah. I mean, you brought up King Charles. I'm thinking he would be a perfect example here as well. But, well, remember the thing with Camilla. Maybe we're missing some point here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not so sure he fully meets that definition. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) For me, the one that I thought of was um, in Hunger Games, specifically the first and second movie, more so the first one with Katniss Everdeen of she was put in situations where she couldn't take risks. You know, she had to be responsible. She had to grow up a lot more quickly, but they had to coach her on her charm, being charmful and being, trying to be manipulative, trying to look, you know, the the part. And she just lacked so much of that natural physique and charm and social antenna that she physically had to be coached on it. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's very interesting. And this ties the low excitable um, low mischievous ones, like the low mischievous lack of charm, the low excitable lack of like energy. We'll often tell them like practice in the mirror and like look at yourself and see if you would believe you, if you would follow you. And we get them to do things because you're not going to change personality, but even like using your hands or taking a small risk that doesn't matter uh, to help build up that strength for the moments where you don't. So we got two others to do. Yeah, low colorful, which is like quiet, 
you know, unobtrusive, not going to get in the way, really low key social style, but maybe overlooked as opposed to their high colorful cousins who are really socially skilled, outgoing and attention seeking. And when I think of that one, if you've seen Game of Thrones, Hodor, who we find out later, it's actually for hold the door because he sacrifices himself holding the door. But Hodor was like a total team player, was not looking for any glory, wanted to be of service, but kind of like had a low-key, quiet social style that caused everyone except for maybe like Bran Stark, who was one of the one of the lead characters, it caused almost everyone to overlook some of his uh, accomplishments. It was hard for people to see how important he would ultimately be. Yeah. That falls in, I think, great with, with the movie. So I chose Donnie from Donnie Darko. You know, quiet, oh. maybe <laughs> overlooked. But in the end, people didn't know how important he really was because of, you know, him being able to have these premonitions about what's going on and be kind of, you know, diligent in that aspect of paying attention to the minute details. Yeah, and it's sort of like the not bringing your attention attention to yourself. Like, it it helps you demonstrate humility, and people will probably like you when they notice you, but they may not notice you when you have, like, the most important idea. Yeah, I think that reminds me of Independence Day. I mean, it's been a while ago, this one, but... Um, Great movie! Yeah, I'm thinking about the the guy that I think he lived in a trailer somewhere in the desert. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. He was always kind of like halfway in the movie. He played actually a significant part in the entire movie because he was the one in the end who really just offered, "Okay, we're gonna, we'll go. I'm just gonna fly that, fly with my plane into the enemy. I mean, into like the artificial um, intelligence ship." into the alien ship. And I mean, he did it, he died and he didn't even mention that this was the greatest thing. So he really actually like saved the world in that movie and didn't want to have any fame for it. Yep. After we have all these other bold characters who are doing it, who ultimately now, now the last one like is low imaginative. Right. And, and you know, like this is going to date me, But, you know, high imaginative is about being really innovative and creative, but potentially coming off as odd or eccentric or impractical, sort of like everything anyone would say about me. But low, like the lower end is sort of appearing to lack creativity, sort of failing to contribute new ideas or being inflexible. So I thought of like Principal Rooney from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Like he was really strict, practical, but he was like a literalist about everything. And he he really didn't look at alternative ways. There was like nothing creative about this dude. And that's part of what led to his conflict with Ferris, who was so unbelievably uh, creative. And I don't know if you guys remember, by the end, Rooney is totally turned into a psycho, right? Because Ferris has broken all the rules of his understanding of the world. And, uh, and I think if he had been a little bit more creative, the, he probably would not have had his whole world collapse what do you guys think of with low imaginative i think of the movie gone girl um specifically ben affleck's character of nick dunn you know just all around not not a great guy (laughs) but 
just lacking the creativity, being so inflexible and failing to contribute new ideas that that really I, I just couldn't think, in my opinion, from the movies that I've seen of a better example of just somebody who is just so low and imaginative. And do you think that that's part of what led to the, like, he couldn't see what was really going on? I think that definitely led to a lot of, for lack of better terms, the ignorance behind it um, and what continued to fuel Amy Dunn. And, okay, well, if, if he can't even, you know... Because he became right. If I if, if I remember right, he became the prime suspect, and he couldn't imagine possibly that like Amy was setting him up elaborately. The whole is. It, do I have that right? Yeah, he even couldn't believe it when he was you know taking a photo beside his wife's missing portrait, smiling, and everyone's like, "You're almost trying." Right? He has such a low mischievous score of lacking so much charm and social intuition and reading the room, if you will. What happened what happened with the portrait? Like he was Oh, they they basically said there was all these photographers and it was a press release of, you know, if we if please find Amy and if you do, we'll give you like a certain amount of money and reward. And everyone, you know, the parents took photos beside the portrait of her. And obviously they were distraught, crying. And then somebody said to Nick, smile. And he smiled. And that was the photo that they used was, look at this man who is so socially inequipped that he's smiling beside his wife's missing portrait. And he was like, well, how could people be pointing the finger at me? I'm so- did she set it? Did she set it up? Or was that just one of his mm, mistakes and not thinking it through? A little bit of both, but it was also in her knowing kind of what Christina mentioned, you know, in our first podcast of she knew her husband's profile so well and what he would not be able to do that it just made it made it almost like an automatic door opening. No effort, no nothing. He's going to walk right into the bear trap. Yeah, see, that that kind of reminds me, like, somebody who's a little imaginative should probably never become, like, a detective or definitely not an FBI profiler because you've got to be able to, like, creatively get in the heads of people who are super different than you. So I think this is a great example, Britt. Like, if you can't do that, you're never going to figure it out, right? Like if you're looking at everything logically and why would a person do that, it becomes really hard to to figure things out. Christina, anything for you there? Yeah, maybe back to what you brought up um, earlier, Game of Thrones. Do you remember Joffrey Baratheon? I certainly do. Yeah. The- why don't you tell the listeners about him? Very, very evil guy. But I think he actually fell and was doomed from the beginning because he was also so bold and but lacking i think the creativity and he had no idea how to secure his power so i think he he only was he wasn't he couldn't do what his mother cersei could absolutely do. not he didn't inherit anything maybe the incest side didn't really help here Maybe it's a brain issue but yeah clearly i see i think that was most part of his downfall That's a great one. So I was going to kind of, in thinking about all of this, Christina, I remember before you did your personality assessment debrief with me, you were so curious about what was going to be in it. In the beginning, I said, oh, you'll find out in a couple of weeks and, you know, back and forth. And you kept on saying how curious it was. And I was like, oh, I'll tell you one thing. You have no boundaries. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, 
And that came from like the high sociability, high affiliation, and that low reserve score. So I was going to ask you, Christina, from your perspective, how important was it for you to understand some of your low scores? I mean, I can still remember I couldn't wait to have my debrief because I know that I th- what I've heard is the decision you made on hiring me was essentially based on my profile. Um, Speaking so of talk- high, high imaginative, uh, one of your colleagues had bought me a whiteboard that I only had space for it in the closet. And that everybody for your job's profile was sitting on the whiteboard and I drew squigglies and lines and assessments and then sent pictures of it to people. Yeah, yeah. It w- your assessment was a big part. Yeah, that's that's why I really wanted to know. And I know uh, we were always that busy and then it got rescheduled. And so I could, I really could not wait. Yeah. So I think it was one of the highest pulses I had ever measured that entire year when I had my debrief. And I, I actually doubted a bit that there's a scientific approach that would really nail a human's personality without actually knowing, let's say knowing me. And when you brought it up and you absolutely nailed it, I was stunned. And I'm usually, um, as one can maybe hear now, quite bubbly and don't really hold back with words. Sometimes it's language issues. But besides that, I was just absolutely speechless because I always thought, especially um that when I have a very high interpersonal sensitivity score, that's my highest. It's a, it's a hundred. So, um, and that's really about being agreeable. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like really soft with feedback. Um, usually like way too friendly, um, too warm, too open. I mean, and that just all kind of goes into that having no boundaries. And I have the hardest time saying no, I mean, drawing a clear line, and I had no idea that, uh, especially that one, would show up so significant. Right, right. How about you, Brett? Was there anything about your low scores that was impactful for you? The absence of something that kind of helped you? I think it's more like the generalization of it. It was, you know, reading a definition and then, oh, it doesn't mean that. It really means this or you know, just kind of reshaping how some of the words and derailers were even defined had an impact for me. So it could even be something like when we're looking at, you know, low mischievous, it, it might sound so obvious. And maybe that's why it was surprising to me was I was overlooking it. But just even like looking at the definition of this low mischievous and, you know, that would be someone that's responsible. That would be somebody who lacks charm. It was like a, a complete, not even just a flip of the switch. It was a complete rewiring of my brain of, oh, okay, like low imaginative means that, you know, you're going to lack creativity. And because of that, you're going to be so set in your ways and, and that you're going to be inflexible to change or initiating change, following change. And so it, it was just kind of and not specifically one score that stood out to me, but just the definitions of the scores in themselves. Yeah, that makes sense. So for me, an interesting thing about my low scores and part of the reason why I think most important, a lot of my high scores line up with my job. So they don't end up being risks, but my low scores don't necessarily. And, you know, when I first interpreted my own low scores, 
you know, I had no problem accepting, like, I make rapid decisions. Sometimes I don't collect all the data. I don't do the due diligence, that low cautious score. I, you know, I'm the first to admit I'm Captain Edward Smith. If I had been in charge of the Titanic, we would have hit the iceberg. There is no question. And I was okay with the low diligent part. Like, I, you know, I am pretty relaxed and action oriented. You know, and I know I'm at the risk of being impulsive or going too far. And then that low dutiful score, I was completely cool with the independent on my own island. All very true of me. But there were two scores that really sort of like were game changers for me. Like understanding that part of me, the low leisurely, that really like, even though I'm not dutiful, like I'm not necessarily supportive and loyal, I want everyone to be happy. And I want people to be pleased. And sometimes it created a real challenge for me because instead of sort of like coaching people or helping people become better or holding them accountable, I would just pick up their work and do their work, overload myself, then become a very grumpy man and want to take it out for everyone. And then the other one for me was like, despite my ambition, despite my charm, despite my ability to navigate situations, it was like accepting that I was really, I am naive, that low skeptical score. Like being able to accept, like to realize that my ability to politically operate in certain situations didn't mean that I always had a great read on people in the beginning, that recognizing and accepting and admitting, which wasn't hard, my naivety, allowed me to like really lean on and trust people around me who are a little bit more skeptical than me and kind of give more weight to my perspective and their perspective together instead of uh, just assuming that, you know, they were looking at the world through a lens of the glass being uh, full. And I think that's made life better for me. I've had less uh, surprises and disappointments when it comes to people through accepting that. So wanted to thank you guys for joining me again to do this series. I wanted to throw it out to you guys to just say if there's, see if there's anything you want to say to kind of wrap it up and wrap up your thoughts on sort of uh, personality and metaphors and characters and anything you want to. I just learned I got to watch more movies. Um, nothing else. Got to go home and watch movies. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Just thank you. And I think something that, you know, I tell everybody that I'm debriefing, you know, just because when you look at your Hogan score, when we're talking about lows and highs, you'll see a multitude of color and you'll see an absence of some color. And just because you might have a lower score in one of it doesn't mean that it's something that you should be ashamed about. Um, it's who makes you you as an individual and as a contributor to society and the workforce that you're in. And it's something that, you know, if you feel you want to strengthen that muscle, as we talked about in the first episode, you know, these are always things that can be coached upon. So be excited about what you bring to the table rather than, oh, you know, missing out because I have a low score. Thanks. Appreciate it. Appreciate both of you guys and looking forward to having you on again. This is Jason Blair, and this is the Silver Linings Handbook Podcast. We'll see you all again next week for our next episode.